We want to go to the New Testament this morning, to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be reading together one verse, chapter 6 of Ephesians, and just one verse, verse 12, Ephesians 6 and 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me read it one more time. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now last uh, week we began a short series of messages entitled Satan or adversary. And we looked at Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. And uh, the two headings that we worked under was uh, his creation and his character. Now, for the sake of time, I do not even want to uh, go back into that. If you missed that and you want to be caught up in it, uh, you can get the CD of it if you want. Uh, this morning, we want to continue under the heading of his campaign, his campaign, his warfare, in other words. And so we're going to divide this up into three sections. His arena, his army, and his armaments. That's the three areas. His arena, his army, his armaments. Now all modern warfare, uh, wherever the battle may be fought, is usually called the arena or the theater of war. And there's always combatants, there's an army there, and of course they have uh, great armaments. And so that is the areas that we want to look into uh, this morning. First of all, his arena. And that is, consists of two places. This is where the battle is fought, spiritually speaking. The air and the earth. The air and the earth. Now, ever since Lucifer uh, lost his first estate in heaven, when God kicked him out, as it were, uh, he has tried as Satan, as the devil, as the serpent, as the dragon, and all those other names that we looked into, uh, he has tried to gain supremacy over men on earth. Almighty God, of course, is the object of his intense scorn and hatred and now, uh, because of man on the earth, man now has become his number one target. He is our implacable foe, our adversary. His sphere of operation against us then is twofold. It's in the air and it's on the earth. And so that is what we want to look at this morning. First of all, the air. When I say the air... I'm talking about what the Bible talks about as the heavenlies. The heavenlies. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now Luke 10:18, Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if I have a 
quick look at that, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Now Paul specifically mentions the third heaven. Some say this was an occasion when he was stoned and he was near death. And whether he says it was in the body or out of the body, he says, I'm not sure. He says, only God knows that. But he says, what I do know was I was caught up into the third heaven. And so the heavens are divided up. The first heaven is the, the atmosphere, the habitable part of our atmosphere in which we all live on planet earth. And then above that first heaven, the second heaven is the starry place. And then above the starry place, somewhere way above that again, is the third heaven, and that's where God's throne is. The Bible always speaks about heaven as being up. Jesus ascended up into heaven. And so that's the third heaven. And so we see there's different layers when the Bible speaks about the heavenlies. And right now, the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 2, verse 2, calls Satan the prince of the power of the air, the heavenlies. And he's specifically not talking about the third heaven or even the second heaven, the starry place, because all out there is planets and suns and stars, which he really has no interest in. It's really on earth. It's the atmosphere around the earth. This is where his sphere of operation is right now, uh, because we're on planet earth. And it's us he's after, really, it's human beings, and particularly the church of Jesus Christ. And so it is that area where he manipulates and motivates men to do evil. Now, we saw that whenever we read last week in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. We saw how those, uh, the king of Babylon and the prince of Tyre, we saw how they were manipulated and motivated uh, by great forces in the heavenlies that was controlling and energizing uh, those two individuals. Uh, it's interesting today, uh, whenever the Scripture talked about the Prince of Cyrus, or the Prince of Tyre under King Cyrus, who controlled him, uh, uh, and it talks about uh, uh, the Prince of Persia. Uh, Persia today, of course, is Iran. Uh, and we see a president in Iran who absolutely despises and hates the Jews and who would nothing please him more than to nuke them and to wipe them with the face of the earth. It's not hard to guess who is motivating and controlling a character like that. And so the air at this present moment is his field of operation, as it were. And from there, he seeks to influence and control and manipulate individuals upon the earth. Uh, and then, of course, there is the earth. In John 12, 31, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler or the prince of this world will be cast out. John 12, 31, John 14, 30, John 16, 11. Uh, Jesus calls him the prince of this world or the ruler, that means, of this world, of this cosmos, of this uh, world system. 
And there's no doubt about it that the evil one controls this world's system. All that energizes it and controls it and runs it, manipulates it. And we see that again and again and again. It's not hard to see, is it? And this is why the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 4.4, calls him the God of this world or this world system. In Revelation chapter 12, if I have a little look there, Verse 7, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Now, we told you that Michael uh, is one of the great archangels, the warring angel. He fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. Now, there is a sequence of events. We know that he fell from heaven to the heavenlies. Jesus saw a psalmist's lightning fall from heaven, from heaven to the heavenlies. But then at one point, he'll be cast out from the heavenlies to the earth and woe unto the happens of the earth in that day, the Bible says. And then it even goes further because in Revelation 20, it tells us there that he's going to be cast alive into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And he will come out of that and he will go forth to deceive the nations to go against God. And then finally he will be judged and cast into the lake of fire forever and forever and forever. Notice the trajectory. Notice it's always down, isn't it? From heaven to the heavenly to the earth to the bottomless pit to the lake of fire. That is his future. And he knows what his future is. And the closer it gets to that final judgment, the more angry and mad he will become. And so the arena is the air and it is the earth. Then he's got his army, his forces, fallen angels, in Revelation 12, it tells us that he drew a third of them with his tail, as it were, the dragon. In other words, a third of the angels sided in this rebellion in heaven against Almighty God and went with him. Now, these angels, there are two kinds of fallen angels the Bible talks about. Those who are bound and those who are unbound. Now there's ones that are bound in Second Peter 
Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter. Verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, it says in my uh, New King James, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now the word hell there is tataros in this particular, uh, where, where Peter's writing. The word he uses is tataros. And tataros is a deep, dark abyss, a place where some of these angels, some of these fallen angels that God immediately put into Tartarus, this deep, dark abyss, a place of punishment awaiting the final judgment where they too will go into the lake of fire forever and forever. Now, there's all kinds of speculations of why God should particularly separate some of these fallen angels immediately uh, to be locked up, as it were, in the abyss into Tartarus and I'm not going to go into that this morning because there is just a lot of speculation. The truth is that we don't really truthfully know why. But God has got His own reasons and His own purpose for it. And thank God He has. Uh, but then there are those that are, that are unbound. By the way, Jude, chapter, Jude uh, verses 6 and 7 relates to those who were bound as well. In Revelation 12, 7 and 9, Ephesians 6 and 9, there are these demonic angels... Uh, that are loose and that obey uh, Satan's commands. But then what of demons? Well, the, the New Testament, generally the New Testament word is devils. Uh, we get the word demon from daemon. And uh, it just means evil spirits or devils. Uh, these are not the same as fallen angels, by the way. These are evil spirits that are without body. And they seek embodiment. Uh, certainly they can influence and certainly they can oppress. Certainly they can manipulate minds. But in order for them to fully operate, they seek embodiment of human beings. And where and when they can embody a human being, they most certainly will to that individual's detriment, causing great problems not only for them, but for those around them. And in fact, they so seek embodiment that there was an occasion in the New Testament where Jesus delivered that man of Gadara from a legion of these evil spirits that they cried unto the Lord to allow them to go into the pigs that were thereby. And he allowed them to go into the pigs. Remember what happened? They completely went berserk. They ran down a steep incline and over a cliff and drowned. But they were so desperate to be inside some kind of embodiment where they could be more active. And so these are uh, evil spirits. And they're widely used by the devil to cause oppression, affliction, depression, and possession. Does that mean every affliction or every depression? Does that mean every sickness is caused by a demon? No, not necessarily. We'll see that in a moment. But certainly when you read through the New Testament, you'll see there 
the, how they operate uh, and, and some of the things that they cause to happen to human beings. In Matthew chapter 9, 32 and 33, you'll see dumbness. Uh, dumbness. In Matthew chapter 12, in fact, if we look at this, Matthew chapter 12, uh, we'll see blindness. Verse 22, Matthew 12. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? And that's, of course, you read on, you see the Pharisees accused him. <laughs> this fellow does not cast out demons, but by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And we talked about that name earlier in the studies. And so we see here that there was a most definite case of somebody who was blind and was dumb, uh, who actually, uh, it was caused by a, a demonic spirit. In, in Matthew 9, if you just go back a little bit. Notice here in verse 27, Then Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he came into the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said unto them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread news about him in that country. Notice here, he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. No talk of demons here. No talk of devils whatsoever. So it doesn't always necessarily follow. That's what I'm saying. In Mark chapter 5, uh, insanity. Somebody completely and utterly out of their mind. In Mark chapter 1, uh, you see torment. In fact, if you look at that very quickly. Verse uh, 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. Notice how that's in the plural. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Did you notice the convulsions and the torment uh, for this poor man? Did you notice the plurality that was used? Uh, us and we intimating there was more than one. And often, usually, there is more than one, but there's usually one that would be the, the head one. And, uh, and so all kinds of, uh, of trouble. In Mark chapter 9, 
Verse 14, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and its scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. He asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Then Jesus saw that the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come to him into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast it out? He said unto them, This kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. And so we see here the harm and the damage that can afflict physical defects, cause deformities. And Luke chapter 13, the little woman who was bowed over for, thir- for 18 years, lo whom Satan has bound for 18 years with a spirit of infirmity, Jesus said. Their victims can take on the characteristics of the particular demon that's controlling them. Foul, unclean, lustful, murderous, lying, perverted, and on and on it goes. By the way, if you read Galatians 5 and you see the works of the flesh, you'll see some similarities. And so the works of our flesh can open doors uh, to things that uh, shouldn't be open to. And uh, so oftentimes when a person is truly demon-possessed, uh, then they can take on the characteristic of that particular one. Of course now they can oppress without possessing. They can oppress. Cause all kinds of problems in, in the mind and in the emotions cause all kinds of fears and dreads and torments. Now the Bible tells us then that Satan's army is marshaled like an ordinary army would be. You know, the devil is a counterfeiter. He's never, he can't think of anything original. Uh, and so he, he, he counterfeits what God has already done. Uh, before we end up, we'll see how God has got an army too, and how he has organized and arranged it. And there's a hierarchy. And so the enemy copies that. He has a hierarchy in his army. Uh, Ephesians 6 and 12, uh, whenever we read that uh, portion there, uh, if I can just remind you again, uh, here it is. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against 
principalities. There's one, powers. There's two, the rulers of the darkness of this age. Three, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Four, so there is the hierarchy of Satan's forces. What are they? Principalities. Arcas is the word. Chief rulers are beings of the highest rank and order in Satan's kingdom. These would be his generals, his field marshals, as it were. Just like any army would have one leader, but under that leader, then there would be generals and field marshals and so forth, and all the way down to the privates. It's the same in Satan's kingdom. Principalities, powers... The word is exousias, and exousia is delegated authority. We have the right, we have the exousia to be called the sons of God. That is a, an authority, a right that's been delegated to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. So simply just means delegated authority. And so these powers are those who derive their power from and execute the will of the chief rulers. So these are subordinate to those above them. And then there is the rulers of the darkness of this world. Cosmos kratopas. Cosmos means order, arrangement. Kratos is power. Real power. Real force and power. So this is power that has been harnessed and has been ordered and has been arranged. Let me give you an example in the natural. 1933, Hitler, chief of the Nazi party, organized what was then called Hitler's Youth. 3.2 million Boys and girls from the ages of 10 to 14. 3.2 million. And they were indoctrinated with anti-Semitism from that age. And they were sent to camps. And it wasn't for recreation. They were militaristic. Their training, to the degree that they were physically able to at that age, was more militaristic than recreational. And then as the war came, the Hitler Youth Movement, of course, was used very much against the Jews in Nazi Germany. But when the war came, for a long time, of course, they were like the kind of the home guard, as it were. But then as Germany was losing the war, and the more they were losing, the more these young men and women were getting forced into real battle situations. In fact, at the fall of Berlin, they actually had a, a panzer division of Hitler's youth and they said they were the most fiercest fighters because they'd been so heavily indoctrinated and were so willing to lay down their lives for the Fuhrer. And the rulers of the darkness of this world are, are like that. Uh, these are demonic forces that has been harnessed and ordered and being used by the devil. And one of their things is to influence governments and world leaders and the media. The media and Hollywood and governments 
under the influence of the evil one is wreaking havoc around the world. Have you noticed, I'm sure you have, how that Christianity around the world is coming under fierce persecution? Have you noticed how all of our rights as Christians are being slowly eroded bit by bit? Laws are being enacted and enforced to make life difficult for the believer, not only here but all over the Western world. See, these powers are operational and they're influencing. Whether men understand it or whether they know they're being influenced is irrelevant, they are. And then spiritual wickedness in high places. Pneumatica penurious means bad, vile, vicious, malignant, wicked spirits in the heavenly places. And they are. We only have to look at what's happening and see the viciousness and the wickedness. I mean, I read in the paper the other day where these young folks, they actually poured, I think it was petrol, over an old person and set them on fire. I mean, how evil and wicked and vicious is that? And I mean, this stuff is happening every single day. Where, where every time you read a paper or you watch the news, you, we're, we're hardly shocked anymore. We've become almost numb to it. It just so happens so regularly. People killing their own children, making them drink bleach and, and all kinds of evil things. And I mean, I read that. I, I couldn't even tell you the story today. I probably couldn't even tell it to us that bad. Uh, what a, a couple did to their own child. It's unbelievable. Wicked, evil. What is that? It's these malignant spirits. It's these wicked, evil spirits that's operational. We know the heart of man is evil above all things. We know that man's flesh can do all kinds of things. But there comes a point where there's got to be some demonic influence somewhere. And so there is the, the hierarchy there, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice Paul said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And we need to understand that. That our fight is not against individuals and people. It really isn't. And sometimes we as a Christians forget that. We start a crusade against somebody or some people. But it's what's behind that is the real problem. It's not against flesh and blood. It never has been. He said we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And the word there. Pale is struggling, wrestling, hand-to-hand combat. Now, it's a very interesting word that Paul uses. Paul was a great observer. You know, when he talks about the weapons of our warfare and he talks about the, the armor of God, he, he, he uses what he sees around him. And he sees Roman soldiers, and he, so he uses that and makes it into a spiritual illustration. And he does the same here with the word that he uses here, Pale. Because a word that comes from that is palestra, and palestra was a palace-like house where only the strongest and the fittest and the fearless boxers and wrestlers and fighters would train and perform. Now, when I'm talking about boxers and wrestlers here, it's not anything like what we're thinking about today. This is extreme contact sport. 
The Marquess of Queensbury rules does not apply here. Everything was allowed. Biting, gouging out your opponent's eyes, breaking their fingers or their arms or their legs, choking them, strangling them. It didn't matter what it was as long as you won. It wasn't a case of two boxers to two wrestlers, the bell going every three minutes and you had a break in the corner. No, no. Whenever they started, it finished when one of them was either could not continue or was dead. It was a fight to the finish. It was a battle of the fittest and the strongest. And whoever could inflict the most punishment. This was bloody, brutal, hand-to-hand fighting where there was no holes barred. And that's the very word that Paul uses when he talks about principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness and spiritual weakness. That's who we're wrestling against. And the devil doesn't play fair. He's a dirty fighter. There's no holes barred. He doesn't care what it takes to take you down. That's what he'll try. And there's no mercy. And there's no compassion. Because he's full of hatred intensely against the people of God especially. So it doesn't matter what it takes. He will attack our bodies, our homes, our finances, our children, our marriages, our mind, our bodies, our emotion. No matter what it is, he will attack in order to try to take us down. Jesus said he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. We saw in Daniel chapter 10 where he even will try to hinder our very prayers. We saw in the four Gospels how he causes sickness and disease. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 that he's a God of this world who blinds the minds of those that believe not. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. He causes division and strife and discord and disunity. Let me tell you, if any of us gets into strife, discord, disunity, you can be sure that the evil one is behind it. You can be absolutely sure because those are his tactics. That's what he wants to do. Many a church has been riven. Many a church has been split. And you can be sure somewhere behind that, the evil one was there, causing disunity and strife and all the rest of it. And if you allow yourself to be involved in that, I'm afraid you've opened yourself to the devil's work. Now, I'm speaking about all this this morning. Time's gone on. We'll be finished in a moment or two. Speaking of all of this this morning and last week, there's a danger, and I warned you at the beginning, there's a danger that you become fixated with devils and demons. Don't. There's a saying, for the man with the hammer, everything looks like a nail. And you can see devils and demons in everything, including your porridge in the morning, if you're not careful. And there's people who do, you laugh at them, but there's people who do, trust me because they became fixated and all of their attention and their energies and their thoughts and things was on the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. I'm doing this to expose what he's like, but I rarely ever do. I don't talk about this every week. You know that. And if it did, that's all you'd think about. So we need to be careful. So if one third of the angels sided with Satan, that means two third remain faithful and submitted to God. So if you're with God today, you're in the majority. 
Thank God for that. So what does God have? He has the hosts of heaven. He has the angels of glory. God has got a hierarchy too. There's the seraphim. The seraphim, you see that in Isaiah chapter 6. The seraphim means burning one. The burning ones. Uh, and the seraphim has got six wings. These great angelic creatures. Six wings. With two they cover their eyes. With two they cover their feet. And with two they hover around the throne of God. And they cry out night and day. Continually. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Can you imagine that? And then there is the cherubim. The cherubim. We see that in Eden. How that whenever Adam and Eve fell. And how that in that fallen state, lest they should eat of the tree of life and live forever in that fallen state, God puts a cherubim to safeguard that tree and he's holding a flaming sword. To make sure they couldn't touch it. Mighty, mighty angel. Years and years ago, a pastor friend of mine in England, his wife, took their son into a museum. They were being shown around and they came to these biblical scenes, these great big portraits that had been painted. And one of the biblical scenes was about Eden. And a cherubim guarding the tree of life. And so pastor's wife and son was standing watching it. The crowd was all around and the curator was telling them the story of Eden and so forth. And the wee boy, who must have been a very keen listener in Sunday school, he turns around and he says, <coughs> that's not a cherubim. The man says, it is. He says, no, it's not. It's got no flaming sword. <laughs> and everybody, because <gasps> they thought he was being rude, you know. <laughs> He's got no flaming sword. <laughs> And he was right, he didn't have a flaming sword. <laughs> Some of you will get that later on. <laughs> you see them on the ark, on top of the mercy seat, the golden lid on top of the ark, and two golden cherubim standing, leaning over with their wings touching each other and their faces looking down upon the mercy seat where the sprinkled blood was. You see, on the veil, embroidered on the veil in the temple. Ezekiel 10. Seraphim, cherubim, what mighty creatures these are. Then, of course, there are the archangels. Michael, the warring angel. We saw him in Daniel 10. What a powerful angel he is. Three times he's mentioned Daniel. Once in Jude, once in Revelation. Say much power as an angel got. Well, there's a story in the Old Testament where Sennacherib, king of Assyria, was come against Hezekiah, surrounded him. Uh, the odds against Hezekiah was immense. But one angel came and smote 185,000 of the Assyrians in one go. <laughs> and that was the finish of him. One angel. So these are mighty beings that God has got. Then there's Gabriel, the messenger angel. He's mentioned twice in Daniel, three times in Luke. He comes to Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. 
And God has got a special message. He sent Gabriel, the messenger angel. It was Gabriel, by the way, who was sent to Daniel and couldn't get through because of the evil forces in the heavenlies. And he sent for Michael, the warring angel, to come and fight his way through so the message could be given. There's all kinds of stuff goes on out there that our human eyes can't see. It's not a fairy tale. It's not mythology. It's biblical. And then above and beyond that, there's the great host of heaven. An innumerable number, Hebrews 12, 22 says. An innumerable number. In fact, in <laughs> Revelation chapter 5, we're going to close just in a second. Have a look at this. Verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, <coughs> Excuse me, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the living creatures and the elder, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. How many millions do you think that is? That's a hundred million million. Or a hundred million. Get your calculator out. Because then you're going to have to stop after that. Because then it gets innumerable because he says, and 10,000, and thousands of thousands. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. <laughs> of 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. What are thousands of thousands? It's innumerable. You cannot count it. And that's what God has got on his side. And every creature that is in heaven and on the earth and under the sea and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessed, blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and forever. And in Hebrews 1.14 says that the angels of God are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. That's you sitting in that seat this morning. You're an heir of God and he sends his angels to minister to us. I don't know how they do that, but they do. They're there. And above and beyond all of that, as we close, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's get it into perspective, all right? Let's get it right. We're on the winning side. And regardless of all the forces and all the principalities and powers that the enemy has got to come against us, thank God for the good forces. Thank God that the commander of the hosts of our salvation has got such power and such forces at his disposal that any time Jesus said, I could have called 10,000 angels click of my finger that I've been here in a second. So what power is available to us? 
what forces are available on our side today. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the scripture that says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. We thank you for the life that we have found in Christ. God, you give him your son as a gift to us. And he gifted his life to us. So we thank you today. We bless you that you always cause us to triumph in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are for us, not against us. That your plans for us are good and not for evil, giving us hope in a future. We bless you for that today. So, Lord, in these moments as we gather around your table, we thank you for the life that you gave. We bless you for the blood that you shed, for the sacrifice that you made. We thank you for the victory of Calvary. We thank you that you triumphed over all of those evil forces. You made a show of them openly, and we bless you for that. We thank you that the war has already been won. So, Lord, we're going to win the battles of life, the skirmishes that the enemy still does. We thank you, Lord, that you are for us. And, Lord, you have given us so much resources. We thank you for them. Bless you, Lord, for who you are today. Brethren, could you come, please, and just get ready to serve on this table?